So today we're talking tacos. Yes, I know we're doing a lot of tacos these days, but this one's a good conversation. Condado Tacos uh, was originally launched in uh, Columbus, Ohio. It's now grown over the last nine years to 44 locations. They are expanding to 100 locations uh, by the end of 2026. Very, very aggressive. We're going to talk about that growth, where it started, how they got to where they are now, and how they think they're going to get uh, forward. We talk about all things service, hospitality, culture, and technology. I'm here with the founder, Joe Kahn, and also the uh, CEO, uh, Chris Artinian. I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast dedicated solely to helping you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. We cover marketing operations and everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20 plus years in the industry to help you build that more profitable and more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my P3 Mastermind program. What are the three P's? They stand for profit, process, and progress. If you've got a busy restaurant but struggle to generate consistent, predictable 20% profits month after month, then set up a free 30-minute strategy session. I'll get to learn more about you and your restaurant. You'll get to ask some questions to see if you're a good fit for this program. Get started by visiting restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Thousands of restaurants across the country use KickFin to send instant cashless tip payouts directly to their employees' bank accounts the second their shift ends. It's a really simple solution to a really big problem. Because let's face it, paying out cash tips to your workers day after day, shift after shift, is kind of a nightmare. Tedious tip distribution takes managers away from work that matters. It's hard to track payments, which leads to accounting and compliance headaches. Plus, cash tip outs create the perfect opportunity for theft. And there's never enough cash to, on hand to pay out those tips, so managers are constantly having to make bank runs. Bottom line, there's never been a secure, efficient way to tip out until now. Meet KickFin. KickFin is an easy-to-use software that sends real-time, cashless tip payouts straight to your employees' bank accounts, 24-7, 365. Tipping out with KickFin gives managers and operators hours back in their day. It makes reporting a breeze and protects your business from mistakes and theft. And employees love it, so it's one of the best recruiting tools out there. Best of all, restaurants can have KickFin up and running overnight. Employees can enroll in seconds. No hardware, no contracts, no setup fees. Get in touch today for a personalized demo and see how restaurants and bars across the country are tipping out with KickFin. Visit kickfin.com slash demo. That link is also in the show notes. So uh, I've got two guests joining me on today's show, Joe Kahn, who's the founder of Condado Tacos, and Chris Artinian, who is the CEO. We're here to talk about a lot, but specifically sort of the, the hyper growth mode they're in. This is a brand that's just about nine years old, and they've got a very, very, uh, I'll say, aggressive plan for the next three years. Um, if you're listening to this and you're going, hey, I'm just a small independent 
sit around, stick around, don't go anywhere because there are lessons that we're going to be able to apply to you, whether you're going from one to two restaurants, uh, one location to a larger location. There's a lot of takeaways here. Uh, Chris and Joe are going to walk us through their story, and I think there's going to be a lot to apply to your story. First, though, let me welcome these guys. Joe, welcome. Chris, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank we're, you. We're excited to be here, Chip. My pleasure. Listen, uh, let's start with you, Joe, because uh, you can speak to the Genesis certainly more than sure. uh, either either of the uh, the other two of us uh, can. So, uh, talk to me about uh, the brand. Why'd you start it? Where'd you start it? How did it? How did it get it start? Yeah, it's uh, it's a really interesting story. But I mean, it basically comes down to I, I was in the business twenty five plus years at that time, and uh, really never had the opportunity to open my own place. I had worked at every position. Uh, in the restaurant all the way up to, you know, uh, general manager. I did a little consulting, dishwasher, everything. But In that order? (laughs) Yeah, right. Sometimes (laughs) I took a few steps back. You never know. Um, But, um, you know, all of that come to say I had a dream when I was given the chance, and I was at 40 years old, that I would build a place that I would want to work for, I would want to work at. Everything from the food to the ambiance to, you know, the culture, what we're trying to do to how guests perceive us, all this stuff. So, um, you know, I, I had that opportunity and and went home and wrote down on paper, uh, you know, it's 9, 10, 11, 12, almost 12 years ago, a little three, three-page business plan if I had my shot and, and wrote it out. And, and I look at it every once in a while and, and, and see, and it's like... 90% true to what Condado uh, is to, to this day. So, um, you know, it was it was a lot of, I want really clean, craveable food, you know, and that's what I did at Condado was, you know, I want to be able to come to my place, you know, twice a, a week and know everybody's name and know my taco and go in and grab some sustenance, some great food. So, I was very blessed to be able to have that opportunity and put it all down on paper, and it, it shone through for sure. So you founded the company, though, back in 2014. That's when you launched the first location. So what happened in those three years between when you wrote your three-page business plan and what it took then to actually get something uh, get something open? Well, I was uh, busy um, doing the same thing I do now under a different name, quite honestly, it was a different partnership, same concept. I named it something different, and you know the partnership didn't last. So I was actually testing my theory, I guess you would say, until okay. I took on some really great partners that believed in what I was doing the first time, first year and a half or so, and translate that into uh, another market under a different name. So, um, yeah. People usually don't associate that, but that's what I was doing. So I was real life yep. it. But uh, you know, it was a proven proven theory in those three years uh, of working it, and and I knew what I wanted to change, and I knew what I wanted you know it to evolve into, and that's what I really started nine years ago. Yeah. So talk to me about, and I want to I want to bounce to to Chris, and I, I know you can't speak about these early days necessarily. You've just been with the company for a couple of years now. But talk to me about the brand. When somebody says, oh, uh, Condado Tacos, I don't know what that is. What is it? So what is it? And and wrapped up in that, I want you to tell me what makes it so unique or special. Yeah. So, I, I mean, 
You know, I'll, maybe I'll start with the latter. I think what, what makes it unique is, is really, and special, is really what drew me to the brand. So doing this for 30 plus years, I, I you know, came across Condado, um, you know, as a, candidly, I was a managing director for a private equity firm that owns Condado today, uh, called the Beekman Group. And I, I was leading the consumer group with a special focus on restaurants and um, prospecting for, you know, great opportunities. And we were looking at for, for brands that had, you know, a high, a high sense of focus, um, fast casual was, was really popular. And, and an emerging brand, um, we're looking for something with a really strong culture, focused menu, et cetera, et cetera. Stumbled across Condado, I'm like, hmm, it's full service, but it kind of looks like fast casual, plays like fast casual. Didn't know much about it, did some internet uh, work around it. And then I met, Joe and I met at a, at, a, at a conference. And I got to know Joe very briefly, you know, in, in, a, in a brief introduction about the brand, and Joe described Condado as, as he ex just described it to us. And I started to get excited, not, not only because of the clean and craveable f flavors, but because of the focus on, on people and making the difference in, the, in people's lives and the reason why he wanted to start this business so that, that he wasn't just a number uh, and just another sort of cog in the wheel of restaurants. And what resonated with me is, you know, as I started in my career 17, you know, 30 years, 30 plus years ago, um, my formative years I spent with a, with a really strong brand uh, called Morton Steakhouse, uh, where I started as a, an hourly employee and, and ended up the CEO. Joe had the same aspirations for the people that worked within his organization. So when I, when I, started to understand those values, married it with this really highly focused brand that was simple around craveable food, um, really clean flavors, focused on tacos, for, focused on great dips, queso and guacamole, fresh margaritas, and, uh, and, and just driving a great experience in a place where you can come as you are in a celebration of individuality. I'm like, this is something really special. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And um, it really resonated with me. And it's the perfect hybrid of where full service meets fast casual because we still drive this sort of come as you are celebration, a destination experience with a great taco and some margaritas on, on a Friday night. But we also drive the speed and convenience of, of pick up and to go. Uh, so if you wanna sit and enjoy a Friday evening with some friends and be served upon, we have that and, and are, are awesome at it. And we're just as fast, if not faster, than most fast casual, if not quick serve, uh, in the way we deliver you know, uh, convenient food through to-go, third-party delivery, et cetera. And you take the food and the culture and the focus on people, it, it, it's really what, what encapsulates great hospitality brands. And I think we have that, that potential to be in that conversation. I love that. So, okay. so. Joe, I'm going to bounce back to you. Take yeah. me back in time. See, so open this place. Uh, talk to me about that that first location. What were you looking yeah. for uh, in a space? You know, a footprint. Uh, what it had to have. What it didn't need to have. Talk to me about what you felt like was <laughs> integral to the success of that that brand. They didn't need to have floor drains. That's what Chris is going to say because <laughs> exactly. we, we 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 were very cheap back in the day. Um, honestly, I knew what I was looking for. Um, 
with the area of town. You know, it was close to the, the campus, but not close enough where it'd be only kids. It was kind of an affluent area on the other side. So I, th- I thought we'd get a good myriad of different people. It was also, you know, not in a great, it was just on the hinge of being in the, the short north, which is like a very artsy neighborhood, but yep. not the best, not the best area to be in, but we took the chance. I was looking for big windows and a big open space okay, uh, with lots of walls so I could do the murals and all that kind of stuff. So check Talk that to out. Me about how many seats in that original place. Well, when I did it, it's a funny story. Uh, I set it up. I think I had about 80, 90 seats inside. I hadn't opened the patio quite yet. So I had, uh, well, once I opened the patio six months later, I think I had another 50 seats. But I was way underutilizing it. I I was projecting sales of like two and a half million. Uh, I hired my COO about six months into this and he took the business and basically turned it into a five and a half million dollar location overnight by putting the proper amount of seats. So the real amount of seats were about a buck 10 inside and a hundred outside. That's what we eventually got to once uh, he took over the business. So went from 2.5 AUVs to 5 million AUVs overnight. So there you go. How long until, yeah, how long uh, until you opened uh, the next location? So I knew about a year into Condado my partners were convinced as well that this was replicable. Um, so it was about, I think I found the location at the end of year one, Condado. It took about six months to build. So about a year and a half, maybe a year and three quarters to open the second one. But from there, it just, it went bonkers after that. Cause we weren't, you know, once we had proved on the second one, within six months, we were like, we have winter. Let's start looking for as many sites as we can open, feel comfortable opening with what we're, we're building right now. So then talk to me about, because uh, this is what I think is going to be of particular interest to a lot of the listeners here. And, and certainly we're going to talk about the crazy growth you did and you just sort of yeah. thumbed at it. But talk to me about what you learned in that first location. I mean, part of this is you bring in a COO who does the proper yeah. seating and you know, more than doubles the, the revenue. Fine. What yeah. else did you learn over the course of that first year and a half or so uh, that you then got right at the second location? And maybe drains are part of it, but tell me what else. Yeah. You know, it was really, yes, I, I agree. I, I don't think, you know, I, I liked what I did. I liked the minimal aspect of opening this first, second, third, fourth, fifth. I think we're paying for it now because we have to put more money in, back into the units. But I don't regret anything back then. You know, we, we opened them within our means and we didn't, uh, you know, uh, over, over open. So, but we also were, you know, trying to open a lot of these. So we were making it as affordable as we could, which was, you know, sometimes you missed a drain or two, but eventually yeah, yeah. it catches up with you and you have well, to. And specifically, and specifically, before we get into location three, four, five plus, right. I specifically want to drill down there. So I'm not like, I'm going to not going to let you wiggle off the hook here, but what did you learn between, cause I, I've heard it. People say one to two is just like when you have kids and you go from one to two, it's not doubling. Yeah. It's really like going from one to four. And, and I know this yeah. when a small operator goes from one to two, it's really, four times the headaches or because or, or, you need more in place, et cetera. So uh, take me back to that. Yeah. And 
what what else what had to be in place that you didn't realize what did you guys get wrong what did you figure out uh, right. that you got wrong the first time do you know what i mean yeah no for sure i mean there's several things construction wise you know we knew we had to uh build a bigger kitchen so we could put two lines in we knew that out, out of the gates out of our first one it was so difficult doing five and a half million dollars so you know we learned from store number one to store number two make a bigger kitchen take some more space you know, instead Great. of trying to do it out of 500 square feet. Um, so we installed the, the things that we needed. We didn't get as cheap as, as, as the first one. But I think the real um, thing difference is, you know, in the beginning, I wish I would have for store number two thought, of, thought ahead a little bit and put some management stuff in place to train managers. We were basically... You know, luckily for us in our culture, everybody tried and loved this company so much. We still have, you know, eight or nine original um, employees uh, that started day one with us out of that original 25 that we opened with or something to this day. So, you know, uh, Dustin was the GM of Short North or, you know, Short North. And then Johnny was the co-GM of both. And, you know, whatever it was, whoever was right. there, with two hands and two legs, we put yeah. in place. So, you know, it served us well. But I also, you know, we learned from that opening three, four, five and six. Yeah. We have to kind of think ahead of this stuff. So then, uh, so I want to bounce back to Chris now, uh, because, again, you've now sort of come into a place where, I mean, there are, what do you say, 44 locations now, something yep. like that spread all over. Yep. Um, you told me before we hit record that there's a, there's the goal is to get to a hundred locations in the next three years. That's very, very aggressive. I don't know if that's, if that's true, um, but that's, that's aggressive. So talk to me how you, what had to happen over the last couple of years because you can't fake that, right? You can't, you know, the way you have to hire no. personnel and train them and continue to, to, to develop them so that they're ready to grow when you're ready for AGMs and GMs and, and regional managers and stuff like that. So talk to me about that aspect of it, uh, how you coordinate sure. that. Sure. So, so let, me, let me take a half step back, too, because I think Joe started that process. So one of the things I think Joe Joe probably omitted um, inadvertently is that in his learnings through his original partnership and and growing up in the business was, you know, surround yourself with people smarter than you are. Not not necessarily smarter than Joe, but but you know, smarter than me, smarter than both of us. Surround yourself with people that know what the subject matter ex who the subject matter matter experts are. And by the time I met Joe, Joe had started to put together a team. We had a chief financial officer that had kind of been there, done that, that, that Joe brought on right around store. I'm going to say around store six, right, Joe? Yeah. I think it roughly. And then, and, then, um, and then brought on a very experienced real estate fellow and then uh, brought on some other key members of, of the band, so to speak, to say, all right, I am now surrounding myself with folks that I got some experience in development, experience in how to chart the financials uh, of the company to chart growth. Um, because in order in order to scale, Joe understood early that I need to surround myself with good infrastructure that creates a foundation of how to leverage this. So where we are, to, you know, if you fast forward to where we are today, I think it'll even better answer your question. So what does it take 
to get to this sort of meteoric growth that, that, that we're experiencing now is that, well, you know, it's cliche, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. It's people. It's quality people. Yeah. So one of the things that the, the experience team that we put together has done is really stay focused on attracting, hiring, retaining the best people that we can. Our COO, Johnny Zila, who um, has done a really great job of helping us get ahead sometimes as much as a year, but six months to a year ahead of getting folks in the pipeline. So we start developing them earlier earlier into the culture. So when we do open a new restaurant, they're, they're starting you know, somewhat with their sort of feet on the ground. Last year, we, 66% of our promotions uh, were internal, which, which is really exciting and makes a real, it, it makes a real difference. So when you're, when you're out there signing 12 to 15 new leases a year to net 12 to 15 new openings a year and, and um, to, to hit the pace of that, you know, that 100 over X period of time, et cetera, um, people is the magic. And you can't fake it. You, you know, so one, it's it's getting them in the system early, getting them excited about the brand, um, understanding the culture, and then and then getting them excited enough that they want to open up another location and build a team around them. And I I say it as it's this simple task of, you know, one plus you know one equals two. It's it's not. We had COVID. Um, we had un. We we spent hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars um, in in trying to find the right people yeah. uh, where there really wasn't a lot of people to find and then get them in the system, train them, get them into the culture and then successfully open restaurants. Um, it, it's a tall order, but it really speaks to the alignment of the organization, the experience that, we, that we've surrounded us and the focus on the culture of people and, the, and, and candidly a testament to the people that we have uh, around us. So to everybody who's listening here, because uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners have aspirations to grow their brand. They feel like they've got something um, that is replicable, replicable, it's scalable. The couple of positions you already threw out, so Joe, uh, you seem to say that the, the first real role you brought on was a COO, somebody really yeah. knew operations and could uh, make that as efficient as possible. Uh, and as effective as possible so that you're uh, generating as much revenue. And I yep. assume part of that was profitability as well. Um, one of the other positions you said was a CFO, somebody who really understood uh, growth and sort of understanding how to manage the, the sort of the financials and the, the investment that was required and yep. what went back into the business to fuel growth, what went right. um, to hire new people. Who else... Who else did you, and you said sort of business development, sort of a real estate person to help you find yeah. locations yeah. Uh, was crucial. Talk, talk to me about who else was on your, your core team at the beginning, at the, the early stages there. Yeah, certainly HR, because we wanted to be the best in class, so we needed somebody. So HR was there okay. uh, with us. And then marketing, which is always a big, uh, big endeavor. So, you know, those were really the first five uh, hires, or five or six uh, C-suite hires, and we were just very strategic with it. We knew we needed Jason, you know. We knew we needed uh, Johnny, who's better to than me to open these places and have a strategy around it. Yep. So, um, yeah, and you know what? To get these guys, it cost uh, a little bit of the company. Each each person got a, a piece of it, and 
I paid much better than I even paid myself at the time. Um, and but it was all worth it because you know they're all now partners in the business if they're still with us. Um, and uh, you know they're super dedicated. They are partners. You know. So what else can I say? Yeah. Yeah. So Chris, talk to me about how you you know as you came became involved with the brand. Because, uh, as you said, you were on sort of the money side of things. Um, and this is a really question for both of you, and I don't know who best to answer it. But I guess part of my question is, Joe, at what point did you realize, oh, this thing's got legs. I need big money. Yeah. I can't just go and find two people with, uh, with a little chunk of change. You needed big money because I think everybody listening to this understands that a right. COO and a CFO and an HR director and a marketing director, you know, all of, or CMO, whatever that was, right. that – that that's that that's money that's infrastructure it's an investment that's not going to pay off for a couple of years necessarily right. so how did you begin that search when you went i mean what'd you do you said say to friends hey listen i need i need i need a big investment where do i go or how did you begin that search yeah. or or how did you get connected with beekman well here's here's the good thing so that's in twofold but my original partners that i took on were nowhere as big as beekman obviously funding wise were actually a pretty big deal, but they weren't part of the business. They were they were the money, and they were my coach. They would help me set up the the business, and they they were looking to not get in to have ten restaurants. They wanted to be this to be a national company, so they believed in me so much. That's why they got in, and they both sold their uh, companies to private equity uh, when they were both fifty, ironically. So they were sixty something. But they just believed in the business. So we didn't take a dime out of the business. We just reinvested, reinvested, reinvested. And um, so that's really all the capital that I needed. And they were gracious enough to, you know, until they started generating enough profit, which was probably year four, um, they were funding the money and not taking out of my equity. But I would owe them 6% on whatever, however, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars that I took out on loans, which was yep. fine. They gave me the opportunity. So that was great. But then, you know, they sold a few years ago. And now I, you know, basically what I say is I traded up. They're great partners. They were. And I traded up to even better partners who are aligned in the same vision that me and my partners and the original intent was take this company national. Um, and they believe in us and they're, and they work with us the same way that Tom and John, uh, did. They're just very aligned and great partners. So if we ever did need to outgrow, you know, if, if, if Beekman wanted to grow and we wanted to do 20 and the restaurants weren't generating that much, I'm sure they would make that investment. But luckily, uh, you know, we take on a partner for different reasons besides money. It's also the strategy that comes with it. And they have lots of other companies that we learn from. Yeah, uh, their portfolio. So, yep. So, Chris, let me bounce this, bounce this to you, because uh, most people who know enough about restaurants know that uh, you don't invest in restaurants. <laughs> so, and uh, you know, there's a million examples of of it done wrong, and and you hear these razor thin profit margins and all that. Obviously, this thing was growing. It was big. It was generating revenue. I assume it was uh, very profitable. You sort of saw. You say, hey, listen, we just do this over and over and over. And we'll have this return. Talk to me about that, because it couldn't have just been that. Like you said, that there was the energy there, you know, the sort of sure. Joe's vision. But 
when you started yeah. going looking below the hood and all that, what made it what made it a sure thing? What made you convinced? Yeah, so it's a great question. Which which the exciting part about Condado, besides what we were talking about, obviously what what's fun about restaurants is right is great food, great people, great experience, um, and but also what makes it what makes the restaurant business so difficult is it's so people intensive. So hiring the right talent, one, two, how expensive it's become. So not only you know like and take COVID. COVID accentuated the, probably one of the largest problems the industry has been having forever. And then, and then you know, fold in challenges with COVID, getting good talent. And the cost of talent probably was going up, I don't know, at, at, a, at a just, let, let's just say at a very rapid rate. So one of the cool things about Condado was, one, the simplified menu, which sort of took complexity out. Two is, is that we have what we call a make fresh centralized sort of kitchen that takes a lot of the complexity out of our um, labor model in the restaurants. I mean, literally two, 300 basis points uh, that comes out of labor in, in, at, at the restaurant level because we, we produce 80% all fresh, no GMOs, no preservatives, absolutely clean in, our, in, in a, in a 26,000 square foot facility that we logistically deliver to ourselves. Really, really unique uh, model that that is able to allow us to centralize the quality, centralize the consistency, the purchasing, the safety, the sanitation um, of all that we do in, in a way that also streamlines our need for labor, which really was a, a financial benefit to the business and also took a lot of complexity out of it and, and really allow, allowed the business to you know scale in a, in a very efficient way. And what I thought was really special about that is we found a way to um, be able to be create more efficiency in the restaurant, which also frees up the ability to pay a little bit more with the folks that are in the back of the yes. house. Because you do not need as sophisticated as a culinarian because of the production happens in one central place. Again, all fresh, all clean, no preservatives, etc. still make fresh. Uh, but the folks at the restaurant really um, are, you know, quality control as and and you know managing labor, man managing the task work, and, and creating the leadership at the restaurant, but with with a lot less comp complexity of having maybe a traditional culinary background that could be quite you know quite expensive. So between the focus menu, our 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 centralized sort of um, you know structure, we're able to sort of leverage the opportunity around labor. And and uh, you know be able to give us a little bit of freedom um, to pay a little bit more in the restaurant with with less people. Yep. Um, at the same time, give us the ability to scale uh, in a very efficient way. And has helped has that helped you with churn? And I'll I'll qualify this by saying um, the only people who listen to this are, are restaurant owners and sort of high level operators. Like like the audience here for this show is very niche. There are no there are no people accidentally come across this show. So like. People really like getting into the weeds, which is why I love the previous answer. But I want to I want to ask: Does all of that helped with churn? Because we know the high turnover that all restaurants have. Yeah. So the the, the truth of the matter is, yes. The answer is absolutely yes because you you are m minimizing the demand on as many people that you need. 
So, so but, but let me balance that out. I think any restaurateur that's listening is going to say, huh, you, you still got to hire people. You still got to get the right people. And believe me, during, during COVID, we had the same challenges that everyone had in trying to find the selection of folks, the candidate flow. Yep. Where we were able to take advantage of it. We did not need the intensity of people um, in, in those kitchens where we probably, a normal kitchen would have need 30, 40% more uh, in terms of, you know, absolute personnel. We're, we were able to, you know, um, be more efficient because we have a central point of leverage. Because the uh, system is in place. People, exactly, and, and then create those systems in place without a doubt. So there's no doubt that we battled for the same type of person. We just needed less of them because of our model. Pop Menu has reimagined the restaurant. They're breaking the mold of the menu, taking the kitchen doors off the hinges, and serving up their most comprehensive technology solution yet. Pop Menu Max. It comes with the previous ingredients you've heard me mention on the podcast. Websites designed with SEO, marketing tools to keep you top of mind with guests, and of course, the patented interactive menu technology. This new recipe brings automated phone answering, third-party online order aggregation, waitlisting, and more to the table. Pop Menu's phone answering technology has your ringing phones covered. With artificial intelligence, the simple questions that keep your phone line tied up can now be handled without pulling a staff member from your in-person hospitality. No more missed reservations, asking for your hours, or missed revenue, and that's just the beginning. You have a passion for food. Pop Menu has a passion for technology. Together, it's a recipe for restaurant success. Now, even more digital ingredients are in their technology pantry, and Pop Menu is helping restaurants attract, engage, remarket, and transact with their guests on a whole new level. Trust me, if you're a restaurant owner, you need Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. For a limited time only, get $100 off your first month, plus you lock in one unchanging monthly rate. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. That's $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. As always, you'll find that link in the show notes. Talk to me about... Talk to me about the brand. Talk to me about the before, during, and after. I really don't want to talk about the pandemic. Nobody wants to hear about the pandemic. But this is a brand that existed before. This is a brand mm -hmm. that survived the pandemic that you know existed successfully during. And now we're in this new normal. Talk to me about what's changed. Uh, or talk to me about what, what hasn't changed. Talk to me about this, this new existence. Yeah, that's interesting. I trying to think. I mean, I think that our consumers expect more out of us. Our guests expect more out of us. I mean, they've been eating out as a living basically for the last three years. So now they know what yep. they like. So I think they look for service a lot more. They also probably look for, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. To me, service is probably the number one thing I would think. I don't know what you think, Chris. Yeah, I think... I think we've seen some behavioral changes for sure. I think to, to Joe's point, just to build on, on, on what Joe was saying, is that a couple things. One is, you know, there, to build up what Joe's saying on the service model, I think that with COVID, we went from, you know, people just being thrilled that the restaurant is open and maybe the, ser the service standards breaking down. But I'm going to come back to that in a second, if you don't mind. I think the real behavior that has changed is that we went, we literally had no off-premise business. Um, 
pre-COVID. Yeah. It was like single low single digits, four or five percent. We were just getting sort of to go and pick up and third party delivery was barely off the ground. Yep. Um, pre-COVID. And then boom, post-COVID, we are it's thirty it's thirty-five percent of our business wow. and is wow. making so we, we, we were able to create a catering business that's that has grown exponentially since and our pickup to go third party delivery has become a very meaningful part of our business and and it's something that we have invested in technology, um, like many others, through Olo, kitchen display systems, and anything that we can do to make it easier and free and frictionless for our guests, whether it be from payment to ordering, etc. And I think to, to going back to the service model. We actually subscribe, you know, to the fact that the service model got broken in COVID. We went from everyone was just like, I can't find staff. They're throwing signs in the window like, hey, just so you know, we're apologizing before you even walk into my building. Yeah. Um, we're, we're short staffed. And, and believe me, we get it. No one gets it, you know, like we do as well. But you know what? We've never taken that for an excuse is that, you know, we're, we're, we're here, we're providing a service, and one of the things that we really focused on during that time is being friendly and accommodating to our guests. And not only were we thrilled to be able to provide that service, um, we were thrilled to be able to build upon the fact that we wanted to create a place that was appreciative of people walking through the door yeah. and really focusing on politeness, please, thank yeah. you, um, at, during those times. I always used to say to... Uh I always used to say to clients uh, that they, they'd say, oh, everybody expects so much, and I'm just doing so much with so little. I have so little staff, and you know, I, just, you know, I wish they would take it easy on us. I was like, are you taking it easy on them? Did you give them 20% off? Because they're getting 20% you know, yeah. worse service. And they said, well, no, I can't pay my bills. I said, okay, so you got to cut them slack. You're yeah. charging the same amount, and in many cases, more than you were pre-COVID, so it's okay. They're okay to complain. It's it's our job to to your point, Chris. Right. Um, That's right. It's our job to just deal with that. It, the you know consumers have a very specific view of value. Is this worth more than what I'm about to part with? Right. Meaning the money, the time, the whatever. Joe, yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say Chris is 100 percent right. Chip, you are dead on 100. percent If this is going just to the restaurant guys out there, let me give you some advice. We had to pay more. We always paid a lot more than most people. That's our philosophy in this business. I mean, I was paying 20 bucks an hour to line cooks nine years ago, you know, to assemble tacos. I believe in that model, you know, livable yep. wage, make, make good money. You're in a legitimate industry. But, you know, there were times that, you know, we needed to pay six, seven, eight dollars more for a hostess. And that's what we did. Right. Yep. I think yep. a lot of people were like, well, I'm not going to pay five, six dollars more. And so I'm going to cut this out. Well, to us, if you cut that out, you're just cutting out bodies coming into the restaurant because they're not going to keep coming to you if there's not some sort of hospitality aspect to being hospitable. They'd that's rather right. Go to McDonald's, right. That, so that's right. That's a constant scale for for some restaurant tours out there pay. Yeah. Yeah. I, listen, I love this conversation. Uh, Chris, you sort of opened the door on this. And so I want to use this to sure. talk about technology. So you were talking about, you know, sort of what happened over the course of the pandemic. Technology adoption is certainly part of it. I want to I want to understand how you guys think about it. Um, how do you utilize technology or where do you, are you specifically not utilizing technology in your restaurants? Yeah. So I think I think the way we think about it is 
is we want to use technology in a fashion that takes complexity away from our staff and also our guests. So we, we, we have been really, we feel really progressive on, on that front, especially for when you think about a full-service restaurant. So here's a few things just to, to, to give you some examples of what we've done. So some of the obvious ones were pay at the table, where all of our servers are equipped with you know, fully remote handhelds. They do not have to leave the table. They're, they're, they're pressing in orders. Orders are being made you know, as they're typing in the order. I mean, we can get a taco out to a table in three minutes. And that's, that's facilitated by the, electron, you know, the, the, the wireless handhelds and also a kitchen display system uh, that's employed in the back. Um, we also are also with, with, with that same technology in creating a, you know, like I said, a three-minute taco. We're, we're creating, I'm sorry, we're, we're creating, with that, with, that, um, with that handheld, you're able to pay without having to leave the table. The guests can pay right, right there. We, um, online ordering, whether it be through our app, through the website, completely frictionless, can prepay uh, and, and customize. Um, we have fully integrated, uh, you know, with um, uh, wait lists or end or using text for pickup to alert folks to for pickup orders or that their you know table is ready, you know, as needed. The other, um, the other piece that we are actually beginning to explore, believe it or not, we, we are on 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 the precipice of, of beginning to test robotics for the first time. Um, so. Uh, there's there's a, a device out there that's called um, you know uh, Chippy or Flippy um, that that is um, that takes basically takes um, automates your 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 fry station. So w we have someone that stands in front of a fryer all day just pumping out chips all day long, and there's an opportunity to uh, invest in a robotic arm with a fryer that could possibly take eight to ten hours a day. Um, out of the labor model and actually, you know, hopefully reinvest it elsewhere. Yeah. So the way we look at technology is how do we make it easier without taking away from the personalization of the guest? We hope that this doesn't take us further away from the guest. Actually want us to bring us closer to the guest to ensure that we're able to either match their speed or match their needs within the restaurant. Uh, so if they're coming in for lunch and need to get in and out, um, we can we can make that happen. They're coming in for a Friday night or a Saturday night. They want to spend a couple hours with their family. We can make that happen. You want to go for delivery, pickup, or or whatever the experience may be. Um, within a few push buttons and in a, a, a few minutes, we we can get you food as fast, if not faster than any fast casual or quick serve, but still maintaining the personalized service experience that you can deliver. On a, in a full service restaurant. So sort of the best of both worlds and technology just in those few examples has allowed us to do that. Talk to me, there's something, uh, one thing you guys pointed out a second ago and I wanna go back to it. Talk to me about the app. How long ago did you develop the app? And I want you to be honest, um, how is the adoption happening? Is it a benefit to you? Is it working? Because I've heard sort of debate on both sides of this. Yes, it's worth it. No, it's definitely not worth it. Talk to me about your experience with the app and, and how you think about it. Yeah, I'll let Chris get into all the details, but for us, it's been the, the latter. I mean, it's been very, it's been very good for us. Uh, we've had it for about a year and a half, and I know that we're way above most industry uh, uh, 
uh, industry standards on most of the adoption rates and, and everything else. So we do really well with it, but we also, I mean, what you're doing is you're offsetting your third party, obviously, and you're trying to yep. get to come to you and pick up, but I'll, I'll let Chris tell you all the details, but it's really exciting for us. That's guest sentiment. I mean, guests are looking for some sort of a, an enhancer, a deal to be a part of something. So I'll let Chris uh, tell you exactly yeah, what. I, th I think, I think, you know, to build on what Joe, Joe is saying, I think, you know, not all apps are created equal. I don't think it's build an app. They will come. Yeah. I think it, I, I think you have to build an app that's going to be a tool. And, and that, you know, is it just another icon on someone's phone or is it actually a vehicle where I can create some engagement? And I know that sounds like a lot of hype, so let me get spe you know, specific. Please. We, want, we wanted our app to make sure it had functionality. So one was we wanted to make sure that you could buy a gift card, order online, make a transaction through, through our app that when you think of Condado, you think of your Condado experience, that you're able to go through the app. Now, you know, so the we, we are in our second full year of the launch of our app. And and I will tell you, we've evolved it. You know, year one was just about adoption. And I'll be honest, we probably got a little bit aggressive on, on our offerings in terms of like points for what you get redeemed. Um, but we were trying to get as many people on the app so we can communicate to as many people as possible. But then we evolved to adding things like online ordering um, and and um, and being able to purchase gift cards, uh, whether it be electronic or, or otherwise, uh, on our website. And now we're moving into how do we use artificial intelligence? Uh, we have graffiti art all over our, our restaurants that are it's really localized. And <clears throat> one of one of the things that we're evolving towards the uh, in, in our app and that we're literally working through now is how do we game create gamification where we're having you know if you think about like airlines and other successful rewards program how do we make it competitive to gain points with with condado or use it to find cool things within our artwork and, and receive a prize and really try to gamify um, or you leverage gamification within our app to make it as part of the experience so uh, you know the honest answer. We've gotten great. We've gotten great adoption because we've made it a tool. We think that that you know when, when we look at other great app, um, uh, great app platforms, i.e., Starbucks. How do we create that engagement? Was that when you think of Taco, you're coming to Condado to place an order? Yeah, yeah. Um, and and we want to keep that level of engagement in there through through uh, keeping it interactive and using it as a tool uh, to communicate with us, order food, and do whatever you need to. So I want to I want to talk about one more thing, because I know we're coming to the end of our time here, uh, but I want to talk specifically, as you have this, this sort of aggressive plan for growing this brand, you said, you know, dozen plus locations every single year. Um, what are sort of the next set of challenges that you face in order to do that over these next three years? I mean, I think it all comes down to real estate people. Uh, we have a great real estate guy who can get us those 15 a year, and it's not running dry yet. But uh, I think the biggest challenge will be the people. And uh, we, you know, but that's what we do, that's what we're all about. So I'm, I'm not too worried, but. Yeah, we just have to keep filling those pipelines with uh, people ahead of time. 
So I'm going to. So let me go one further. Talk to me about the future of labor in this industry, because the service industry in certainly this country, uh, and we are uh, this podcast is in 65 countries. So I have to, <laughs> I have to make sure to put that out there because it is different in, in 64 other countries. But in this country, service is uh, a status thing, right? It's not uh, often thought of as a career path that people sort of aspire to early on. That's very different than in, let's say, Western Europe. Um, Western Europe service is a very reputable, very uh, exciting uh, path to go, and, and not so much in in this country. And I think that's a little bit of the challenge here: is that nobody says, "Oh, I want to, I want to be in that industry." How does that change? How do you guys think about sort of hiring at the level you need to hire? when you're up against sort of that sentiment. And if I'm wrong, if you see it differently, please, by all means, um, tell me how you guys are thinking about that. I, I think you're right. Let me take this one real quick, Chris, but that's what we're all about at Condado. I mean, we're trying to change how the industry is viewed. And right now, uh, unfortunately, in the United States for a very long time, it, it has been, you know, somebody who doesn't have a degree goes into, uh, you know, uh, restaurants. And that's really how it shouldn't be thought of, uh, you know, because all the guys with me are now COOs and, you know, partners in the company and, and you know, all this stuff. So um, and that's what we really try to uh, hit home when it, it comes to hiring. We want to pay best in class. and We let people know we want to have the best benefits out there. These are all things that you have to do. You have to be if you want to get good talent. You need to change the industry and there's no more a GM, you know, making $70,000 a year running a $5 million store. They need to be paid 125, 130, 140,000 a year. That's just how the, uh, how the workforce is out there, you know, uh, demand and reward. So, uh, we think because of our philosophy and our culture that we're changing a little bit of that. We, I worry for the rest of the industry if they don't catch up. But, uh, you know, who cares? There's going to be more people for us to grab because people, uh, when they hear about us and hear about our culture, you know, they 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 uh, do everything they can to get into our company. So, but that's how people need to think, I think. Yeah, I think, I think um, I, I, I agree with a, a lot with what, what Joe had said. Look, I think it's changed a lot. And in, in our one fast casual has probably changed the complexity of you know of of our of our profession and made it made it feel like a kind of a like almost like a sign up sheet you know listen the service industry is hard it is a skill as as far as i'm concerned and um i think that um i think done right you really create you know tremendous careers and and, and it's it's a real profession but i think for whatever reason over the years because of the onset of so many restaurants and Fast casual and small, you know, smaller, more focused restaurants, a faster paced service, um, maybe the finer details of dining. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm dating myself a little bit. I'm, I, I've been doing this thirty plus years. I start out in finer dining um, as well. So that they, the level of guest engagement and the guest experience. I was raised in this business where this was truly a profession. And what was the coolest part about the profession was that, to Joe's point before. You could have no education, but just a, a great focus on wanting to make a difference in in, in, in hospitality and the guest experience and make that difference. 
I don't think that's completely dead. I think it's gotten lost. However, I do believe that there are we, we have found a new norm here where we have to meet the guest's speed and, and, and convenience of today. That's right. But we cannot leave the experience behind. And I think that's where the professionalism comes in. And that's what I'm excited about with this industry. And I, it certainly has changed and evolved. But I do think that the, the ones that think like us, not to sound elitist, I don't mean it in that way, but I think the ones that think like us, where we really appreciate everyone that comes through our door, values that experience in hospitality where you can make a difference in someone's day. Because to me, that was what hospitality was built on, is that you can change someone's attitude over a meal, Always. which is pretty, pretty freaking exciting, you know? Always. Always. And, and I think we do that. We get a lot of credit for being friendly and hospitable, and I think that's what makes us a profession, and I think we can build upon that in our industry. I love it. Uh, all right, I got one last question for you guys, and then I got, I got some rapid-fire questions I'm going to ask each of you after this. But uh, one last question because uh, something that I think we struggle with a lot is uh, – and there's a specific way that I like to think about marketing. I won't impress uh, those upon you, but – you guys are going into new markets, new neighborhoods, new stores all the time. And so specifically, I want to ask you guys, because I think you have a unique perspective to share here. How do you think about customer acquisition? Building awareness, you know, raising awareness, building trust, getting people to come try you for the first time. Because uh, it's not always easy, I have to imagine, to just get people to come in for the first time. And everything you're talking about, guest experience, quality of food, all of that, that'll get them coming back. Right. But how do you guys think about sort of, again, raising awareness and, and customer acquisition when you first open a new place? I think that would be a, a particular uh, help to the people listening to the podcast. Yeah, I mean, I'll let Chris get into specifics, but yeah, that's a big focus of ours because we are going into so many new markets. In fact, we just had a board uh, meeting recently, and that was kind of a focus of it is, you know, we put you know, $25,000, $50,000 per location in marketing for the opening leading up to it, you know, do we go up by another 25% in these new markets that nobody's ever heard of us? Yeah, it makes sense to do that. You have to get the awareness out. You're not going to spend millions of dollars to do that. But uh, Chris, I, you know, it's gotten more expensive for sure the farther mm -hmm. out we get, but I'll let Chris give you all the the details. Joe did it with his first restaurants with no floor with no floor drains and and and, and free taco coupons. That's right. Yeah. Um, the uh, no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, it, it is our number one challenge. So what's exciting about that? You're going into a new market's never had condado. So there's a couple things that we do try to preemptively. We do send, you know, as we're recruiting for. Um, management for our new store in a certain market, let's say it's a brand new market, uh, we will really try to learn about what's going on in that market. We'll try to, we'll try to sort of, you know, get the lay of the land, in which case once we have the, ma the manager, the general manager established, we really try to figure out what are the centers of influence in that market. And then as we are building the restaurant and we start planning for opening, um, we have a series of events during, you know, two weeks, Two weeks prior to the restaurant being open, we, we have a series of events that include training. So we do our hiring and training of our management teams. We bring our training teams in, but also we bring our marketing team in. They seed the area. Uh, we'll promote our catering, um, and we'll do food drops, and we'll try to infiltrate the, try to infiltrate the community to, to let them know that, hey, that we're coming. 
here's who we are, you may not have heard of us, and do a lot of sort of hand-to-hand -hand combat. The challenge that we really have, though, beyond that, that, that may get it really exciting. We also do what we call a year of yum, where we offer the first 100 guests um, free tacos for a year. You get a free taco every week for a year. Um, and literally people line up. I mean, we've had people literally 5 o'clock the night before camp out uh, for the morning before, yeah. before, morning before to get online to create that buzz. That's exciting, and that'll get you through the first 30 days. But in you're in a brand new market, we also need to continue those sort of PR efforts and make sure that our name is out there. Yeah. We don't take for granted that we just build it and they will come. One, we have to execute inside the four walls, to your point. So once we get yeah. them, we want a compelling reason to come back as quickly as possible. But two, we try to leverage social, digital, and a really layered approach to sustain that sort of, sort of um, uh, buzz uh, in the first six months uh, of a new location so we can create some sustainability, sustainable communication with the community. Um, but at a high level, that's sort of how we approach it. Yeah, great. Um, perfect. Uh, guys, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time and sharing your guys' story. Um, I got five rapid fire. They don't have to be rapid fire answers, but there's sort of like five easy questions for you. Uh, if you guys are game, I'd love to roll these to each of you. Cool? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all right, Joe, you kick us off. First question, uh, Joe, what's the last great meal you had? Oh, gosh. Last great meal I had. I think it was Jeff Ruby's Steakhouse. Yeah. Okay. That was a few nights ago. Excellent. Chris, same question. So I, I, I have a soft spot, and, and I was just there recently. My, uh, there's an Italian joint in New York called La Parma in Williston Park. It's also where I happen to like get my first restaurant job, but they have the best like authentic Southern Italian, um, uh, you know, food. So I was there recently. So that's 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 the best experience I've had in a while. Love it. All right, Chris, you're going to take the second question first, so you don't have time to think about your answers to everyone. Um, <laughs> tell me, what's the last great hospitality touch you had? The last great hospitality touch that I had. Ooh, uh, um, you know what? I, w I was, I was, I was staying. I was out in Fort Lauderdale. I was at a hotel, um, and it was our anniversary. And the the hotel, so they, they didn't know how many years or whatever, but somehow figured out it was our anniversary, and left a really cool, made me look like a hero. I had flowers and candy uh, waiting in the room without without me having to say a word, awesome. uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. It, what, what a cool touch, and, and actually probably took them such little effort to accomplish that, and look at the impression it made. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Joe, same question for you. Yeah, it was, ironically, it was about a month ago, and it was in North Carolina, just this... Uh, Italian place. I don't know if I told you, Chris, but little Italian place. And this guy, I mean, it got great reviews, but it was basically chef owner run. So he was in the kitchen uh, uh, cooking with two other people while he was interacting with the dining room at the same time. It was that small. So there's about 25 people. So he's screaming at the guys, you know, politely to, you know, <laughs> barking his orders for what he needs. 
And then he's turning to people going, hey, how's your dinner? And hey, how's yours? It was just this great hospitality show that you never see anymore. These owner-run places that take so much passion and pride uh, yeah. in, in that, you know, that it reminded me of how it was when I was, uh, you know, online in Condado and looking out in the dining room, you know, asking people Love how it. things are. Yeah. Love it. All right, Joe, you're going to take the next question first. Uh, if a genie came down and granted you one wish uh, as it relates to our industry, what would it be? What would you wish for? Ooh, what would I wish for? Oh, gosh, the best sites out there. I have the best people, <laughs> so I'll get the best sites. How's that? Okay. <laughs> Chris, what are you wishing for from the genie? Yeah, I, you know, I, I know cliche, but it's our business. It's definitely... You know, a, a mentor of mine used to say it's the best business in the world if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> so <laughs> I, quality people, easy, the, the easiest way to find quality people that just really seek to make a difference in the guest experience. Love it. Um, all right, uh, Chris, what would you tell someone who's about to open their very first restaurant? Stop. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, no, the, uh, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would say... You know, be prepared. You know, I, I I would ask of them that if this is their life's calling, and I and I mean this, I mean that sincerely. That this is not to me. This is not a business that you can get halfway in. It is so much fun and so rewarding, uh, but you have to you have to be you have to be knee deep in it because it's so people intensive um, that I, I would just warn that it's going to consume your whole life. But if if you're if you're anything like me and, and and enjoy people and enjoy making a difference in people, it's going to be a life full of reward. But there's a reason why there's an eighty percent failure rate of, of of in our industry. So either you're all in, or please please do not even bother. Yeah, I love it, Joe. Yeah, I mean basically the same. You have to be one hundred percent in it. And you have to walk in knowing that uh, it's probably going to fail, but you know what? You have to do it on your terms. Keep your head down, fail fast, get back up, keep doing it, and uh, do a lot of rep repetition of that. I mean, it, you don't have a life outside of the restaurant business. It takes a good five years to build uh, you know, even a good management team around you in a single restaurant. Uh, imagine if you don't pay well the turnover and you having to do it. I think that's why a lot of restaurants fail. They don't take the human piece, which is yep. investing in the people around you to make you successful. So. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. All right, uh, Joe, take us home here. Uh, tell me about the future of restaurants. Look, five years down the line, tell me uh, what is coming that other people might not see coming. Oh, gosh, I, I do think robotics. I, I hope we don't see it in the front of the house, but I do see it in some of the back of the house. You know, I see that being a big piece. AI is going to be a big piece. Technology is going to be a huge, huge piece. I mean, everybody's looking for convenience, and convenience is coming with technology. So, okay. I mean, we want to keep it as humanistic as possible, but there are going to be a lot of a lot of uh, robots and, and uh, AI stuff out there that uh, our guests are going to want to use to get to us. So that's the future, 5, 10, and 15 years out, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Chris, what about you? Yeah, I feel, I, I feel the same way. I think technology is going to continue to evolve, uh, whether it be robotics or uh, other, other uh, artificial intelligence. And, and I, 
I'll 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 stick with Joe here too. I'm I'm a I'm a purist. I I do think that um, I can't wait to continue to marry technology with a personal experience. And I think yes. the ones that get figure that out and still be able to drive the convenience and frictionless nature of a good piece of technology, but still are able to make the human connection. I think those that are I think those are the brands that are gonna win. Whether it be fine dining, fast casual, or quick serve, I think that, that human connection um, while evolving is still gonna be uh, paramount. Um, but absolutely leveraging the benefits of technology to make to make those convenience and those creature comforts, you know, um, uh, you know, a deliverable for our guests. Yeah. yeah, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, traveling all around the country uh, talking about the intersection of hospitality and tech, and I really wish we weren't so precious about service because when we start separating service from hospitality and we start incorporating some of these technology uh, solutions, I think what we f would find, and we are going to find is that we actually have an opportunity to create much better uh, hospitality experiences. Oh, creative, when we free our people up from doing the very menial uh, tasks, um, yep. I think we actually free them up to be more human. And so we say, oh, we don't want robots, we don't want computers, we don't want AI, except you know, someone answering the phone, for example, someone answering the phone, just taking a reservation, that can now be handled by the computer and now AI voice answering, and then we can just have a line. If you want to leave a reservation, press one. If you want to talk to a real human, press two. And then we free that person up from all that, like the simple tasks yeah. that a computer can now do. And now that person fields one out of every six calls, one out of every 10 calls, and yeah. actually then has the time to engage. And I think there are opportunities there. So I would completely agree. I with agree. You. Yeah, I think I'm glad you see it that way, that. Chad, because we really do see that's the, how the future could be. Uh... There's so much opportunity. And again, I spent a lot of time in fine dining. And they are uh, very precious about this. And I think there's some things that, meant, that are meant to be guarded. I think you, uh, you go there for all the attention and the extra uh, service touches. I think you pay extra for that. And yep. yet, I still I wholeheartedly believe there are opportunities um, to inject technology to, to make that a better experience to, again, no free our people up. Uh, listen, you yep. guys, I really appreciate your time. I've loved this conversation. Um, I want to give you guys a chance, send people where they can learn, uh, tell people where they can go learn more about Condado and uh, where they can find one near them. Yeah, so CondadoTacos.com, absolutely. And, um, you know, that, that's what our website is. And you, you can find out where all of our locations are, get gift cards, um, what, what are cool drinks or margaritas, what's coming up on our LTOs. So please, CondadoTacos.com. Yeah. Excellent. Are you guys on LinkedIn? Can people go find you there? Yep. Absolutely. LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, full, fu fully engage on, on, on the social platforms, TikTok, etc. Excellent, excellent. Because I imagine some people might uh, want to uh, dig a little bit further. Uh, guys, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, Chip. Thank you very much. So once again, I want to thank Joe and Chris for taking time out of their day to talk to me, to share their story with you. Again, all the links are in the show, no uh, show notes. And one final reminder, if you are interested in learning more about my P3 Mastermind, then please get in touch. You'll get on a call with me or one of my coaches. We'll get to learn more about you and your uh, restaurant. You'll get to learn more about the program, ask some questions about the program to see if you're a good fit for the program. Again, we're making an impact on businesses all over the world. 
world. To date, we've got over 50 people enrolled in the program. The program works. To get started, visit restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. That link is in the show notes. Again, I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to be here to listen in to these conversations. Look forward to having you every single week, and I will see you next time.